And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Thank you, Melody, and you can have a seat. And usually, you know, when, uh, when somebody comes to Christ, you know, I always encourage them to, you know, pray, you know, talk to God, and let God talk to you through the Bible, and then, you know, you need to talk to others, you know, witness, and tell them what you did, you know, or what God did in your life, and then you need to fellowship. And I always use this verse to encourage them. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together, you know, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us spur one another on to love and good works, even more so as we see that day approaching. And we're going to be talking about this fellowship today. We're going to talk about community today. That's what I want to introduce to you this first Sunday of the 40 Days of Community, this concept of biblical community. As Americans, we kind of idolize independence, don't we? In America, we have the Declaration of Independence We bought into the myth that says the key to happiness is independence. We have like relational independence, financial independence, independence in every other area of my life, you know, uh, relational independence, all this stuff. We don't want anybody to get too close to us. We're totally self-sufficient. And then if we're totally independent, then we're going to be happy, right? And every year the suicide rate grows. And God says the key to happiness is not independence, It's interdependence. We need each other. That's the body of Christ. We need each other. We belong to each other. We need community in our lives. And God wired you to go through life not as a solitary individual, but in community. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. How many times have I said that in the last 23 years? 40 days of community. This is the introduction. Five reasons. Why we need each other. Reason number one, I need others to walk with me. I I do, and I'm saying this personally. I need others to walk with me. What does that mean? It means I need you to help me grow spiritually. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Just as you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. Some versions say, so live in him. Did you know that the Bible often compares life to a walk? Why? Because we're on a journey. You don't just sit still in life. You're not where you used to be, and you're not where you're going to be. You're on this journey, and so it calls the spiritual life, the Christian life, a walk. You know, and throughout the New Testament, we're told to walk in wisdom, to walk in love, to walk in the light. We're told to walk in obedience, to walk in the Spirit. We're told to walk as Jesus walked. But one of the key ways that God tells us to walk is this. You are never meant to walk through life alone. And this has nothing to do whether you're, you know, single or married. Nothing at all. Some of you say, Dave, what's wrong with walking alone? You know, I'm an introvert. Quit that. I like walking alone. In fact, I prefer it. I can go at my own pace, my own speed. I don't have to wait for anybody else. I like walking alone. You may like it, but you need others to walk with you. Let me give you three reasons. It's safer. 
You know, walking through life with other people in your life is safer. I mean, you ever had to walk through a dark alley at night in the inner city all by yourself? I have. It's a little scary. Or walk down a long road in the countryside all by yourself? That can be scary. It's safer, really, to walk with others. It's not only safer, it's supportive. You know, what do I mean by that? It, it, it keeps you from giving up. I mean, when you're walking with other people, you get energy to keep on going that you wouldn't have. And I've talked about my, you know, my marathon experiences so many times, you're probably getting tired of it. In 2002, I ran a marathon with Blake and Becky and with my daughter Leah, and Leah was constantly encouraging, old dad, you can do it, you know? There's an old Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast, but when you run together, you run far. Those are good words. Life is not a sprint. Life is a 50-yard dash. Or it's not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. That's what it is. That's what I meant to say. You know, you want to make it to the end of life, and the only way you're going to make it to the end of life the way God wants you to is by having other people involved in your life. I need others to walk with me. It's safer, it's supportive, and not only that, but it's smarter. You know, it's just smarter to go through life with a few really close, deep friends. You learn more by walking with others than you do by yourself. You know, in a multitude of counselors, the Bible says, there's safety. And the Bible says this in Genesis 2.18, and of course it was referring to marriage at the beginning, but I think uh, it can be applied to all of life. It's not good for man to be alone. Just not good. And that's the first thing God said after he created Adam. He looked down on this perfect environment, the Garden of Eden, for crying out loud. And he says, it's not good. You know, he created everything. It's good, 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 good. And 2.18, he says, it's not good. What's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. So what is his antidote? He created two groups. You've got the physical family, of course. But then you got a spiritual family. The physical family is the one you grew up in. The spiritual family is the one you have the rest of your life. And it goes on into eternity. The physical family eventually moves apart, eventually dies, and it doesn't go on. But the spiritual family, God's church, is going to go on forever and ever and ever. And God says, I want you to be connected to my family, the church. And that's the verse that Melody just read. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Notice it's a habit. It's a habit, something you do all the time. Instead, let us encourage each other, even the more so, because we see the day a coming. And he says, you were created for community, and I want you to encourage each other by meeting together. Community happens best, I think, in small groups, and that's why you should sign up for one. Community is God's answer to loneliness. Write that down. We all need a place where we can practice love. And I tell you, I need a lot of practice. And it's what the world needs. And we need to learn how to love. And so we're going to begin, I, I hope, like a revolution of love today. And the Bible says that I've got to have other people in my life as I'm walking through life. And I already have mentioned this verse from Proverbs, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I need other people to grow. I can't grow without others. I think the Bible's very clear about this. I cannot grow without other people in my life. Why? Because life is about relationships. It's not about achievement. 
God is love, and he wants me to learn to love him, and he wants me to learn to love others, and those are the two great commandments and the greatest lessons in life, to love God and then to love others. And you can't learn community without being in community. And like right where you're sitting right now, this isn't necessarily community. It's hard to have community in a crowd. That's why we, small groups, I think, are so important. And God's answer to loneliness is community. Community is God's answer to loneliness. And I think there's a longing, isn't there, for belonging? So that's the first reason we need each other. We need people to walk with us. Uh, Reason number two, we also need people to work with us. I need people to work with me. You know, the Bible says you you were put on earth to do a certain work that only you can do. Ephesians 2.10, you know, we always use Ephesians 2.8.9, you know, by grace we've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. You know, it's, it's not of work so that we can't boast. But we were saved so that we can serve. Ephesians 2.10 says God made us to do good works. Not that our good works can save us, but because we're saved, we do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. Before you were even born, God decided the talents that he was going to give to you. Isn't that something? The natural abilities he was going to give you, the background, he even chose where you would be born and who your parents would be, you know, when you would be born and all this. And because he has a purpose for your life, and part of that purpose is he has some work for you to do. Last Friday night, I shared a a sovereignty of God verse uh, from Psalm 139, verse 16 at Roger's uh, memorial service, and it goes like this. Listen to this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You talk about the sovereignty of God Almighty. And anytime you use your talents or abilities to help somebody else, there's a word for that, and it's called ministry. It's called service, diakonos, and all of us are Ministers, not all of us necessarily are pastors, but all of us are ministers, and what that means is when you use your gifts and what God wired you to be to help others, you're doing what God wants you to do. And he says, he says these are your good works. And work, I think, is always better together. I mean, how many times have we said that word over the last few years? We're, we, we're better together. God tells us in the Bible why we're supposed to work together. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. You know? Together, everyone achieves more. Better together. Everybody knows this. I mean, you get more done as a team than you do as an individual, and I think you have a whole lot more fun, and it's also less tiring, and you learn to cooperate together. I mean, there's all kind of benefits to working together. We're better together. Last Sunday, you know, we canceled church, why? You know, snowflakes are frail, but enough of them stick together, they can stop traffic. And they stopped church last Sunday, all these little snowflakes. They stopped us from having church. We're better together. You know, many hands make light work. Individually, I can't make that big a difference in the world. Individually, you can't make that big of a difference in the world. But together, in this church, we have 400 snowflakes. Come on. There's a lot of snow. 
And that can make some significant difference in the world. Together, we can make a difference if everybody does just a little bit. Now, this afternoon, the outreach team is going to meet. Right, Ada? We're meeting. We, we got snowed out last We probably could have had it, but we canceled the meeting. But we're going to have it. And we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about maybe a block party in June, you know, to do together and leading into, you know, VBS, and we're going to talk about probably a, a, a food pantry on wheels that we can take into some neighborhoods. We're going to do some stuff together, and we're going to make a difference together. Community is God's answer to fatigue. I mean, if you're tired, it's because you don't have the relationships built in to support you that you need in what God has called you to do. I need people to walk with me through life. I need people to work with me through life, but also reason number three, I need people to, to watch out for me. I need people to watch out for me in life. I'm, I'm talking about people who will defend me, who will stand up for me, who will protect me, who will help me keep staying on track, who will watch my back and warn me. We all need this because you know what? We all have blind spots. The Bible says in Philippians 2.4, look out for one another's interests, not just your own. I mean, if you want a counterculture uh, counter verse, here it is right here. In America, the general idea is it's all about me. It's all about my needs and how I'm being, you know, my needs are being, my interests, my wants, my desires, my ambitions. You know, forget about you. You know, I live for myself. Forget everybody else. This verse says, don't just look out for your own interests. Look out for others too. Is anybody watching out for you? You know, it's, it's more than just like the neighborhood watch. You, ever, you know, you get into these neighborhoods, they have these signs, you know, it's like neighborhood watch, and we're supposed to watch everybody's stuff. And I think it works, you know, the neighborhood watch. And we're watching out for everybody's stuff. Is anybody watching out for your soul? Your soul is a whole lot more important than your stuff. Is there anybody in your life who helps you to stay on track spiritually? Is there anybody in your life who loves you enough to say, you know, I'm not going to let you get discouraged. I'm not going to let you drop out. I'm not going to let you get tired. I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. And they encourage you in your spiritual life. And the fact is, you know what? We all have blind spots, things that we can't see. You know, you get a taillight out. You know, you're never going to know it. Somebody's got to look out for you. Somebody's got to say, hey, your taillight's out. Or hey, you got a piece of broccoli in your teeth. Or you got this thing. No, I'm not going to say about the booger coming out of your, no. That's, you shouldn't say that in church. But sometimes that happens. You need somebody to tell you. You can't see it. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 1, keep being concerned about each other as the Lord's followers sh should. Keep on loving each other as brothers. We should care about each other. Because we're family, if you know the Lord. We're in God's family. As brothers and sisters, I should defend you. You should defend me. And I help you stay on track, and you help me stay on track. And It says, keep on being concerned. That means not just once. You know, we need to keep vigilant. You know, in a war, everybody has to take time on sentry duty, right? While everybody else is sleeping, somebody has to stay awake. And make sure the enemy doesn't come sneaking in on us, right? Since 9-11, we've all been a whole lot more vigilant for each other with terrorism and things like that, haven't we?
But did you know that you have an enemy that's a lot more destructive than terrorists? You have a personal enemy and he hates your guts and he wants to defeat you and his name is Satan and Satan wants to mess up your life and Satan wants to bring problems into your life and Satan wants to ruin relationships in your life. He wants to hurt you as bad as he can. And when Satan attacks you, he doesn't come in with this long red underwear on, long red underwear on and a pitchfork and says, boo. He doesn't do that. Are you kidding me? How does Satan mess up your life? Through habits you can't break. Through hurts that you won't let go of and you hold on to the resentment and through hang-ups that you can't change in your life and through problems and circumstances and through relationships that break your heart and hurt you. And he always works around and through others. Many Christians are defeated. They live in defeat. Why? Because we try to fight him on our own. And you're never going to win against the devil on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the truth of the word of God. But you know what? I know Jesus handled the devil by himself, but you need other people who will watch out for you and who will help you. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked but, and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a threefold cord is not easily broken. That's a small group right there. Here's, here's my question. Is there anybody watching your backside? Anybody who's watching out for your spiritual welfare? Do you have anybody close like that? Are you in a small group where the group of guys, if you're a guy, or women, if you're a, a woman, who are saying, you know, we're there for you. We're there for you when you're, when you're going to go through tough times, and we're, we're not going to let you get discouraged. We're not going to let you get depressed. We're not going to let you get worried. We're going to be here for you. If you don't have anybody like that, I, I kind of pity you because what you have now on your back is this big bullseye for Satan. And it's like, there's a loner. There's a loner. They're not connected. And he shoots these fiery darts at you. Community is God's answer to defeat. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.10, if one person falls, another can reach out and help, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. I already mentioned Proverbs 17, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I encourage you to get into one of these small groups where you can have others watch out for you and help you stay on track and look out for each other's interests and you know, pray together and just love on each other and learn the word together and worship together. and We're stronger together and support each other through good times and and bad times, and so I need others to walk with me, to work with me, to watch out for me, and reason number four, I need others to wait with me and to weep with me. To wait and to weep. And I'm talking about they wait while I'm waiting for the bad news and then they weep when I get the bad news. And I'm not cursing myself. Do you hear me? But I need people with me 
in the inevitable crises that come in everybody's life. When the tragedies hit, and they will. I don't want to face this alone. Karen Kalinowski, you know, she moved to, to Omaha Saturday. I mean, memorial service Friday night, boom, Saturday. She's on her way to Omaha. But you know, for the last few years, I saw many wait with her. I saw many weep with her. And even last Friday when we said goodbye officially to Roger and said farewell to Karen, uh, boy, lots of hugs, lots of tears. That's, that's really a good thing. You know, as your pastor, I especially feel this one. I see it on a daily basis. There are situations that, you know, nobody really should have to go through alone. Nobody should ever have to wait in the hospital while a loved one is in a life and death surgery. Nobody. No woman should ever have to wait alone, waiting for the lab report back on some problem pregnancy. Nobody. Nobody should have to wait for the news from a battlefield alone. Nobody should have to stand at the edge of an open grave alone. Nobody should have to wait at home alone for the coroner to come and publicly identify the body of a loved one who had just died. Nobody. Nobody should have to spend the first night alone after their husband has died or their wife has died. Nobody should ever have to spend the first night alone after their wife has just walked out on them or their husband has just walked out on them. The fact is, some of these things are going to happen to you. They're inevitable. And you're going to have loved ones die. You know, you're going to go through tragedy. You're going to get some bad health news. You're going to find out one day that you're dying. You need other people in your life. Only a fool would go all the way through life totally unprepared for something that you know is inevitably going to happen. The time is now, really, to build the safety net, the network of supporters, of friends. You know, get in, get it in place now because at some point the tragedy is going to happen. You don't know when, but the time to prepare is now. And here's God's plan. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, if one, mother, if one member suffers, all suffer. I heard about a guy who died at home in his bed and nobody discovered it for two years. Can you imagine? How tragic. I mean, that a guy was not even missed for two years. Can you imagine the despair in that man's heart as he was dying in his own bed? Nobody should ever die alone. Nobody should ever have to go through that kind of despair. And thank God for a hospice, Randy. You know, you guys make sure that nobody dies alone. Here's God's plan. You know, actually, community is God's answer to despair, but God's plan, Romans 12, 15, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And we do that in, in a group. Somebody has a good thing, maybe a promotion, a celebration, a, a graduation, and then you should celebrate and rejoice and party over that. You know, have a good time, have fun. Somebody has a tough time, then we weep with them. By the way, a lot of times in groups or small groups, uh, people don't know how to deal with tears. You know, somebody starts crying, you know, and, uh, you know, a tear comes down their, their cheek. You know, I think a tear is always a sign or um, it's just a, a trigger that says you, just, you should just stop and pray. And that's what you do. Whenever there's a tear, you just stop and pray. That's the sign. You don't have to fix anybody's problems in your small group. 
Uh, they don't want you to fix it. They just want you to sympathize when you're going through a crisis. You know, you don't really don't want any advice. You know, you just want somebody to be there, somebody to sit with them, maybe silently, just hold their hand, put your arm around their shoulder, cry with them, be there for them. You know, I need others to walk with me and to work with me and to watch out for me and to wait and to weep with me. The, first, the, the fifth reason that I need other people in my life, and it's the last one, I need others to witness with me. And what do I mean by that? You know, God has given us the gospel. And when we get saved, we got Jesus in our lives. So we got the gospel. You know, we're a walking billboard. You know, we have a life message that God wants you to share with the whole world. That's part of your mission. That's your great mission, your great co-mission. The Bible says that God put you on earth to do this mission. You know, there's a reason why you're still breathing as a Christian. There's great power in group witness. God never meant for you to do your mission alone. God would never send a soldier out by himself. He says we go together. Together's better. And what is the way you witness best to people who don't know the love of God? How do you witness best to them? Here's what God says. The best way is simply by loving other people in the family of God. Jesus said in John 13, you know that chapter right before he was crucified and he was washing everybody's feet and everything, your love for one another will prove. And this is probably something the church fails the most at. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. What impresses the community the most when Christians when people who claim the name of Christ, when believers actually and truly love one another, in spite of our stuff sometimes, the one thing that proves to the world that you're in the family of God, that you've actually stepped across the line from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son, that you're headed for heaven, is that you love other people. You love other people in the family of God. And if you don't love other people in the family of God, you've got a reason to doubt, am I in it? Because that's one of the things. When you're truly in God's family, you start loving people in God's family. And that's what impresses the community. It's like, see? See how they love each other? And that's what I want Calvary to be known for. What impresses them you know, hopefully it's not like a, our size or not this beautiful building, although it is, not our sermons, not our music, but it's a place where you get loved. That's where they love you. That's where it's okay for a guy to stand up and say, you know, maybe in a men's group or something, like, hey, I've got a sex addiction. I'm having trouble with alcohol. That's a place where it's okay for a woman to stand up and say, you know what, I just lost my husband. He walked out on me. That's a place where, you know, you're not perfect, but they still love you. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be about? That's what we want to be known for. During the next 40 days, we're going to hopefully start this revolution of love in this community. And I hope it'll spread, literally, from our own persons and marriages and families and church to all over town. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in heaven because of you? Is there anybody in heaven because of you? 
Well, we need to do it together. And God's answer to fear is community. Philippians 1.27, listen. It says, you are working together and struggling side by side to get others to believe the good news. You are working together and struggling side by side to get others to believe the gospel, the good news. That verse has two goals of what we're going to do. First, hopefully deepen, uh, deepen the community within our own church. And then reach out to community around our church. We all need each other. We need believers to walk with us, to work with us, to watch over us, to weep with us and wait with us when we need to wait and to witness with us. And say this in your heart, just in your heart. Say, you know, I really, 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 really need to be in a small group. That is your declaration of interdependence. Let's pray. Father, we think of uh, the church in America. Sometimes it seems like we've just turned into entertainment centers and keeping people busy centers. Lord, it's time, we know, for the church to be the church. It's time for a revolution of love and fellowship and true community. And God, I pray that you begin it in our own hearts. With all my heart, Lord, I know that the churches will start fulfilling God's purposes together when we do that. When that happens, we're gonna see this new reformation in the church a new spiritual awakening in our country. And God, we need that. And now, maybe you could pray something like this to agree with. God, would you forgive me for times when I felt like I didn't need others, I didn't need other people in my life, that I'm, I'm too spiritual for those people? God, whatever excuse that we give, I pray that you would knock it down and you would put within our own hearts this little voice that says you need to be a part of what I'm doing on the earth, to be a part of the family of God, the church. I want to experience real community, God. I'm tired of superficial relationships, high and by relationships. I want to learn to really love and to be loved in a deeper way. I want to open my life to you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, but to come into my life and guide and lead and live your life through me. Accept me into your family. Thank you for this place to belong called Calvary, this place to grow. I don't want to be a passive follower anymore. Today, I just commit to getting into a group so I can learn about community, Lord. Would you bless our church family as we do these 40 days of community together? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen.